We are continuing to study what the Bible tells us about witnessing and our responsibility in the Great Commission to preach the gospel uh, to every uh, creature. Jesus left us with that command. His last command should be our first priority, whatever uh, we do with our lives as far as career and uh, family and our future. Um, it ought to be centered around getting the gospel to those around us and those around the world. Isaiah 52, verse number 7, speaks of uh, those who have beautiful feet. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that publisheth good tidings and publisheth peace that bringeth good tidings of good that publisheth salvation. And so as Ephesians chapter 6, in listing the armor of God, says this in verse number 15, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And um, something we emphasized a few weeks ago is that witnessing takes preparation. We have to be ready. We have to make ourselves ready. If you're saved, you have a testimony. If you trusted Christ, you know how you trusted Christ. That's all you need to get started but you don't want to stop there. You want to learn how to present the gospel uh, to someone who is lost so that they can know how to be saved. And there are different aspects of this preparation. Um, part of it is just learning how to converse with people, how to start a conversation, how to direct a conversation, how to keep a conversation going. You really have to care about people for one, and then you got to learn to ask the right questions. And questions can help you generate conversation. Questions can help you steer conversation in the right direction. Help Questions can help you get the conversation back on track. And so there's some specific questions that are good to learn to use to guide a witnessing conversation. That'll help you prepare to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel peace. So as a Christian, you can have what God considers to be beautiful feet. Then Last week, Brother Gage taught on the proper use of God's law, which is a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Some important lessons uh, that are given to the lost through the law of God. What the law does is it explains the problem so that we can give the solution. The law gives the diagnosis so that we can point to the cure. The law is the bad news which prepares someone to receive the good news. So preparation of the gospel of peace. Figure out how to talk to people, how to start a conversation. Make sure that we start with what the problem is. You see, salvation is not a life enhancement message. The problem that salvation addresses, the problem that the gospel addresses is a lack of righteousness. It's not just about going to heaven when you die. It's about addressing the fact that you are under the wrath of God and deservedly so. It is the, it, it, it is, it, it, salvation delivers us from the condemnation that we are under because of our violation of the law of God and using the law establishes that. But we're going to uh, continue this morning. What about when you get to that point? where it's time to explain the gospel to someone. You, you've established the need for the gospel using the law. We have, we have established the fact that all have sinned and come 
short of the glory of God. And I mean, the gospel really is simple. We are sinners. We need a Savior. The Savior is Jesus Christ. You've got to trust in Him. So, uh, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, how can I prepare myself to give someone the good news and explain to them what Jesus did so they could be saved, what they have to do in order to be saved. And sometimes this will be a back and forth conversation with questions asked and questions answered and Bible studied. And sometimes it'll be just a quick presentation because the person is interested but not going to be there long enough to go back and forth for a, a considerable amount of time. Sometimes it'll be someone who's never heard it before, someone who may or may not have expressed some level of interest. Sometimes you're giving the gospel to people who grow up in church and they're familiar with Christianity and they know who Jesus is and what Jesus did, but they've never had anybody explain to them how it is that they can be saved and know that they have eternal life. So what we want to focus on this morning is preparing to present the gospel when that opportunity arises. Just think if you had that opportunity today, you're at the nursing home or you're knocking on a door or you're out holding a sign or you just have a conversation with an acquaintance or a friend or a coworker or a classmate and here the door opens, what would you say? What verses would you turn to? What analogies would you use to explain how someone can be saved? What Jesus did, what they have to do, what the gospel message is. It, it'd be a really good thing to sit down and think through and prepare for so that you can have beautiful feet. And we'll talk about presenting the gospel this morning. There are three basic foundations. Okay, Fill these in as we go. Number one is the problem. The problem, and that's what Brother Gage focused on last week. The problem is sin, separation from God, eternal judgment, God's justice and God's holiness, which demands a payment, a punishment for sin. So uh, the, the foundation is the problem. Then number two is the solution and the solution is not religion, and it's not baptism, and it's not sacraments, and it's not good works, and it's not church. It's not anything that we do. The solution is what Jesus did, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ when he died for our sins on the cross. We have the problem and the solution, but there's a third aspect that's important to prepare to cover, and that is the response. Okay, all have sinned. Jesus died for everyone. Now, what does someone have to do for that payment to be applied? What does someone have to do to receive the salvation that Jesus purchased? What does someone have to do in, in order for his death, burial, and resurrection to be effective to their salvation? So the problem, the solution, and then the response. How are we prepared to present those things to someone who is lost so that they too can be saved. And there, there, there are a lot of different ways to do it. And there's not just one way or a right way or a wrong way. And there are so many verses in the Bible that 
can be used. We're just going to go through a couple of them this morning for the purpose of preparing ourselves and being ready to, to take our Bible, to show someone these verses, to explain the gospel so that they can be saved. We'll explain at the end a little bit of a caveat, a little bit of a disclaimer, but we're going to start with the Romans Road. How many of you ever heard of the Romans Road? You pick up a gospel tract and pretty much it'll have the Romans Road on it. The Romans Road is a great method. It's a great technique. It's something you need to be familiar with and able to use and it's probably the easiest plan there is. And here's how to use something like this. Take your Bible and you would mark the verses, the little thought out to the side if you need it, and a reference to the next place to go uh, to show someone the next truth from the book of Romans related to salvation. Let's just travel the Romans road together, fill in the references as we go. Romans 3.23 is where we start. Why? Because before we get to the good news, we've got to explain why the good news is so good. You've got to give the bad news First, and the bad news here is so simply stated in Romans 3.23. Here's the great thing about these verses. They're so clear and so easy to understand. Uh, when you're dealing with somebody who's lost and giving them the gospel, uh, have them read the verse if you can. Because there's power in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit works through the Scripture. But let somebody read the verse and simply ask them, do you know what that means? And listen, uh, people are so dumb now, they might not. But you can easily explain them to... I mean, these verses are easy. These words are easy. These concepts are simple. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's not some deep theological truth that's way over everybody's head. This verse simply says that everyone is a sinner. And we can take some time to define sin using the law. We can take some time um, to, to explain why sin is a problem. But this verse clearly says that everyone has sinned, and, and, and we can ask somebody we're witnessing to, are you a sinner? Well, of course, everybody is a sinner. Yeah, but are you a sinner? This is personal. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous. You can write that on the same line. There is none righteous, no, not one. The problem is a lack of righteousness. The problem is our sin. Then the penalty for sin, second line, Romans wrote, the penalty for sin, Romans 6.23. Romans 6, 23. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. Start with Romans 3, 23. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. Go next to Romans 6, 23. Show why sin is a problem. There's, this, this is where a lot of people get hung up. This, this is what people today don't seem to be able to understand. The fact that everybody is a sinner does not make it okay. The fact that everybody is a sinner does not mean that you are personally responsible and accountable for your sin before God. The wages of sin is death. 
And we explain that one day you're going to die and you're going to stand before God. And how are you going to answer? You're a sinner. Sin separates from God for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in Romans 3.23, we establish sin. In Romans 6.23, we explain why sin is a problem. Romans 6.23 also opens up to the good news that eternal life is available, that it is a free gift, that it comes through Jesus Christ. The next place to stop on the Romans road is Romans 5 and verses 6 through 8. Romans 5 verses 6 through 8. I just want you to write these down and be familiar with it and memorize it, commit it to memory, prepare to Use these verses to witness to somebody. Romans 5, verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. We stop there and we can explain how the fact that Jesus died on the cross means that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves from sin. If you could get to heaven by going to church, being baptized, saying prayers, performing sacraments, any of those things that people think are going to get them heaven. If you could get to heaven by doing that, then why would Jesus need to die on the cross? His death is the proof that nothing we do is sufficient. Nothing We are without strength. And that's why Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, someone even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took the punishment that we deserve. He paid for our sins. He satisfied the demands of God's holiness and his righteousness and his judgment. The bad news is we've sinned, Romans 3.23. We're separated from God, Romans 6.23. But Jesus paid for our sins, Romans 5.8. He did what we cannot do for ourselves, Romans chapter 5, verse number 6. He died, he was buried, he rose again. Okay, so that's great news, right? Jesus is the Savior. Jesus died for everyone. Jesus paid for all of my sins on the cross. But what now? Knowing the facts is not enough. A lot of people have enough familiarity with religion and church that they know the facts that Jesus died on the cross, but that's not what saves a person. So where do we go next? Romans 10, verse number 9. Romans 10, verse number 9. And note how personal these verses are. Romans 10 verse 9 that if thou shalt that if thou thou that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus again as much as you can have someone you're witnessing to read these verses for themselves pause and ask them if they understand what is what does this say to you that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved. Uh, I'm glad that God uses dogmatic language in these verses. It's not, it's not might, it's not maybe, it's not hope so, it's not one day. God promised, if you do this, I will 
do this. If you'll confess and believe, I will save your soul. Thou shalt be saved. Verse 10, for the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, here it is again, shall be saved. Now, you don't want to go 80 miles an hour down the Romans road. You want to take your time. It's a scenic drive. The speed limit's uh, 35, and we're, we're going slow. We're taking in the sights. We're trying to make sure we, 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 we get it all, okay? But as you read these verses with somebody, note God's promise. Note the simple requirements. Believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins. Trust that he's the only way for you to get to heaven. And if that's the case, the Bible said, if you would call whosoever, you can put your name in the verse, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We read these verses, we ask the questions, are you a sinner? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe Jesus rose again? Do you believe there's anything you can do to save yourself? Do you believe he will save you if you call on him like he said he would? Are you ready to call on him right now? And, and listen, uh, they, they might say yes. They might say no. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in a person's heart, uh, but somebody I'm witnessing to, if they acknowledge this, if they see this, if they understand, uh, a question I'd like to ask is, well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I think I need to call the Lord. Well, when do you think you want to do that? I'm not going to put words in their mouth. I'm not going to twist their arm. I'm not going to push someone into a decision, especially if you're um, working with a a child in a VBS or a Good News Club type setting. But ask these questions to get the person thinking and, and, and definitely give the opportunity and encourage a decision. But that's just one simple way to go through these verses that are close together and really easy to understand to show someone the problem, the solution, and the response. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.6-8, Romans 10 9 through 13, they call that the Romans road. There's one in the book of John. Let's travel that together quickly. John chapter 3 and verse 18 is the first stop. John chapter 3 and verse number 18. John 3.18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because if not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Here's the problem, it's condemnation. We are under God's judgment. Why is it that we are condemned? We go back to the law, we explain sin. John 3.36 is the next stop. John 3.36, here's why that condemnation is a problem. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The reason sin is a problem is because God is holy and God is 
just and God is righteous, he'll not allow your sin into his heaven. That sin has to be dealt with, but God dealt with it himself. John 3.16. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we presented the problem. We're condemned, verse 18. We're under the wrath of God, verse 36. In verse 16, God provided the solution by sending Jesus Christ into the world. And Jesus died on the cross, and Jesus rose again, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Two options, two destinations. Perish or everlasting life, and the only difference is what a sinner does with the one who died for his sins, what a sinner does with the Savior. John 5, 24. Last stop on the John Road, John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Do you see what God says? Do you hear what God says? Do you believe God to speak the truth? Do you believe him enough to call on Jesus Christ to save you? He'll remove you from that condemnation. You'll never be condemned again. Your sins will forever be forgiven and you'll have everlasting Life. There's just a few verses close together in the book of John to present the problem and the solution and the response. What about the Isaiah road? We don't use that one very often, but uh, some good verses to have in your arsenal, to have ready uh, to use in presenting the good news to someone who's ready to receive it. Isaiah 53 verse 6 establishes the problem. Isaiah 53 and verse number 6. The Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. A basic definition of sin is doing what we want instead of what God wants. Living by our own standard instead of God's standard. You see, that's the problem. People use their own standard and they conclude that they're a pretty good person. But when we use God's standard, the law that God gave, it... It condemns us all as guilty. And all we like sheep have gone astray. The reason that sin is a problem, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. These are important verses to know and to use. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Here's why sin is a problem. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Sin is not allowed in God's presence. Sin is a wall of separation between the sinner and the sinless one, between the unrighteous and the righteous. Sin separates from God and it will do so for all eternity if we don't get the sin dealt with and forgiven and cleansed. So Isaiah 53, 6, we're all sinners. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, that sin separates us from God. Back to Isaiah 53, 6, the solution was provided in the person of Jesus Christ. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. We could use verse number five. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. Uh, Verse number 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Verse number 12. He bear the sin of many. All through the chapter is Jesus taking our place. Jesus dying for our sins. Jesus making salvation possible. But what does a sinner have to do in order to receive the payment Jesus made? Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. Last stop on the Isaiah road. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. People have a tendency to put this off. But it's serious. You can't put it off. This is a good verse on the urgency, the importance of this issue. Seek the Lord while he may be found, implying a time that there might be a time when he can't be. Call upon him while he is near. Seize the day. Take the opportunity. You're not promised tomorrow. Verse 7, let Luke forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, let him return to the Lord. He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This verse says, if you will call upon the Lord, he will forgive your sins. He will pardon your sins because he is merciful. You're a sinner. You're separated from God. Jesus died for your sins. What do you have to do? You've got to call upon him to save you. And today would be the day that you need to do that. Don't put it off. The book of Isaiah makes that clear. Last one, and then we'll talk about some analogies. The gospel road, we're going to call this. The gospel road, just a series of consecutive verses that one could have ready. You can, you can shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel by learning what these verses are, what they say and using them and explaining the gospel to someone, starting in Romans 1.16. This, this assumes that you've established the need for the gospel, that we've gotten past the bad news and we're getting to the good news. But Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believeth, the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's a great question to ask somebody, do you know what the gospel is? And they'll often say yes, and you ask them, what is it? And they'll give you a variety of answers. And we don't laugh at them or make them feel bad, but we do want to take the opportunity to, to open the Bible and explain what the gospel actually is. A lot of people say the gospel is the word of God. Well, the gospel is in the word of God, but the gospel is not the word of God. It's more, it's more specific than that. People will say the gospel is Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus, but again, we want to get more specific. From Romans 1.16, we emphasize the importance of the gospel because it's the message that's going to save your soul if you believe it, right? Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. There's nothing more important than knowing what the gospel is if it's the only thing that can save you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. We got the order mixed up there on your notes. Sorry about that. 2 Corinthians 4, 
3 and 4 is the next stop. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. The Bible says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ as the image of God should shine in them. So if you don't know what the gospel is, the Bible says you're lost. It's the power of God of salvation. It's the only thing that can save you. If you don't know it, you're lost. And the reason you don't know it is the devil doesn't want you to know it. The devil does anything he can to blind your minds to the gospel. He, he'll use religion. He'll use church. He'll use whatever it takes. So if you don't know what the gospel is, what does this verse say you are? It says you are lost. Thankfully, the Bible makes the gospel really, really clear. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. You start Romans 1, 16, go 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4, and then 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye received, and wherein ye stand, verse 2, by which also ye are saved. Okay? Again, establishing the same thing as Romans 1.16. The gospel will save you. What is it? Verse 3, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and then he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures, what is the gospel that is the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. It's the good news that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He made an atonement that allows God to forgive us without violating his justice or his holiness. Romans 1 16, it's the only thing that will save you. 2 Corinthians 4, if you don't know it, you're lost. 1 Corinthians 15, it's that Jesus died, was buried, rose again. Galatians 1, 6 through 8, Galatians 1, 6 through 8. This helps answer any objections that are raised. Galatians 1, 6 through 8. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that calleth you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we... Or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Here's why these verses are so great to know and so great to use. Because you'll witness to somebody and ask them, are you going to heaven? Where are you going to go when you die? Are you saved? And how do you know? How did you get saved? And they'll give you all kinds of different answers. Well, I'm a good person. Well, I go to church. I do this. I do that. I know I'm saved because, you know, I was in a car wreck once and I lived and, 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 and then you witness to them and give them the gospel and explain biblical salvation. They'll say, oh yeah, I believe that. Have you ever had that experience? When, when someone had to give you an answer that they said something completely off the wall and unbiblical, but when you explain the gospel to them, they're like, oh yeah, I agree. Well, okay, it's got to be one or the other, right? And it's, it's difficult to politely and nicely kind of point that out. And, 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 and even when you do, a lot of times people don't seem to get it, but Galatians chapter 1, listen, there is no other gospel that will save you. And if you believe in another gospel or any other way of salvation, the Bible says you're accursed. I don't care if 
Moroni showed Joseph Smith the gold plates. I don't care if it was an angel or a man or anybody that preaches anything else than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what saves your soul. That's another gospel. Sacraments is another gospel. Baptism is another gospel. Right? So the gospel road shows uh, the importance of the gospel message, establishes that you're lost if you don't know it, and then we can define it and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. So those are some scriptures to, to, to have ready, to, to, to shod your feet with, so you can carry the gospel and, and be ready to present the good news when the opportunity arises. There's some analogies that are helpful to use just to explain some different concepts associated with the gospel. A speeding ticket is, is a good analogy to use for substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement is Jesus Christ taking the place of the sinner, paying the penalty for our sins on our behalf, something we could not do. A speeding ticket, it's 35 miles an hour, and I get clocked going 65, and the officer pulls me over, and he writes me a ticket. I have broken the law. I am guilty. There is a fine that must be paid, but I have no ability to pay the fine. I have no money in my pocket, no money in the bank. There's nothing I can do to deliver myself from this condemnation that I'm under. Uh, but my friend Caleb here is a nice guy and he loves me and he's loaded. So he goes to the courthouse and he pays my fine, right? Now, now I'm, I, I don't have to go to jail. <laughs> I don't have to pay the ticket. I'm no longer under the sentence that I was under because I had broken the law because someone who had not broken the law paid on my behalf for what I had done. It just helps people kind of get a picture of what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was, he was paying the penalty that we deserved because we had broken the law. And if I let Caleb go to the courthouse, write a check, pay my fine, I'm free to go. If you'll trust in the one who died for your sins on the cross, you will be delivered from the wrath of God. So the speeding ticket is a good analogy for substitutionary atonement. A chair is a really simple illustration to explain the concept of saving faith. Because, again, it's, it, it's not just intellectual facts. It's not just knowing Jesus died on a cross. A lot of people know that Jesus died on the cross. But they're not trusting him. They're trusting something else. They're trusting themselves. They're trusting their religion. They're trusting their church. They haven't even maybe thought about eternity and standing before God and what it takes to get to heaven. And so uh, a chair is just a simple illustration of the concept of faith because faith is trust faith is dependence faith is reliance and so you can look at a chair and know that it will hold you you can look at a chair and believe that it is structurally sound but but faith is demonstrated not when you look at a chair and assess its qualities faith is demonstrated when you sit down and you place your weight upon the seat and allow it to hold you up, and that's what it takes to be saved, you've got to, you've got to place your trust in Jesus. 
You've, you've got to depend on him as your only hope of getting you to heaven. Witnessing to somebody, you can simply pull up a chair and explain that concept and use that analogy. Does that make sense? I've heard the analogy of a parachute, right? And it's the same type of thing. It's, it's the concept of saving faith, of trust, of dependence, of reliance. Ray Comfort uses this analogy very effectively. A parachute, it doesn't do you any good until you put it on, right? You're in the plane. The plane's going down. You're going down with the plane. You've got to jump. Where are you going to take? Well, oh, there's a backpack. Oh, there's a parachute. Well, that's great that you know it's there, that someone packed it. But before you jump out of the plane, you better put the parachute on. What does the Bible say? Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jesus died for me. I see that. Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, I believe that. Great. You better put it on. Because this plane is going down and you're going to crash and burn. Good time to talk about hell. Right? But you better put on what Jesus did for you. It's a good illustration of faith. So, again, just some verses to have ready to present the good news. But a little caveat, a little disclaimer to finish with. We've got to treat our country in this day like a mission field. There was a day when you could knock on doors and you would talk to someone at every door that you stopped at and they already understood the foundational principles of God's existence and our sin and accountability to him. And you could take a quick walk down the Romans road and see people get saved. 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, independent Baptist churches were the biggest churches in the countries with Lots of people getting saved because the foundation are been laid. But the foundations have been destroyed. You can't just walk up to somebody, take five verses, five minutes, read four verses, and lead them in a prayer. We, we, we've got to take our time. We've got to establish the foundation. We've got to talk, be ready to talk about God's existence. We've got to make sure that the bad news makes the good news make sense. All right? So we want to have this ready but we don't necessarily just jump straight to this and show somebody a couple verses and think they can get saved. Now, the, the gospel is still the same. The gospel is still powerful. We take every opportunity we can to give someone the gospel. We're not going to force or manipulate a decision. We'll let the Holy Spirit do his work. But we do need to be ready. So think about what would I say? What verses would I use? How am I going to explain to somebody? how they can be saved. Let's shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Lord, thank you for the good news and thank you for the salvation that we enjoy. Help us, Lord, to care enough about others to get this message to them. God, give us boldness, give us open doors, give us a burden. God, for the lost, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.